Jam Yearbook. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 2001. Yeah. How you doing today, Matt? I'm doing awesome. Yourself, Jim? I'm doing really well. Doing really well. Looking forward to talking about 2001 today. You ready to get it rolling? Oh, yeah. No time like the present. That's right. Well, we always open every show with a remembrance of the musical artists that we lost. Legends, respectively, in each of their own genres, the world lost Chet Atkins and John Lee Hooker. Yeah. And then there was the tragic early death of Alea. She was the first female artist to reach the top of Billboard's Hot 100s based solely on airplay. She wasn't just popular in the United States. Her second album, One in a Million, sold 5 million records in other countries. She's been credited for helping to redefine contemporary R&B pop and hip-hop, and she even had two starring roles in a couple of action films before she passed away tragically at the age of 21. Someone who was another legend, absolutely, George Harrison. Ah, the quiet beetle. Yes. It didn't come as a surprise at the time because the world knew he was battling cancer. There are stories of his last visits with Paul and Ringo, and I, I would really recommend looking those up. They're great stories. When... Paul was visiting George in France. He was getting ready to leave. And George says, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to go see Ringo. Ringo's in the hospital. He's been, he's been ill. And George sat up and from his bed and said, oh, I'll go with you then. You know, joking. <laughs> but it, there's some great stories there about their final times together. George may have written my favorite Beatles songs. And I don't think there could be the Beatles without Taxman, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Something, Here Comes the Sun. These are incredible highlights of Beatles albums. And he was regarded as a kind and gentle soul and left an amazing legacy that will remain for generations to come. But regardless of pop culture and music, there were 2,996 deaths attributed to a horrific terror event that overshadowed them all. Yeah, in America, you can't even think about 2001 and not have the tragic events of 9-11 at the front of your mind. Yeah, and there was an impact on music that we were listening to at the time. Yeah, Clear Channel placed a temporary memorandum on over 165 songs that could be deemed to be in poor taste for the time. Yeah, I, it was controversial. I wouldn't say it was censorship because it's Clear Channel's choice. It wasn't government stepping in or anything like that. But it did seem odd that Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door or John Lennon's Imagine were on that list. They did have Rage Against the Machine. Every single one of their songs were banned on Clear Channel. <laughs> yeah, and the Strokes removed a song titled New York City Cops from the U.S. release of their debut album. And the Dave Matthew Band scrapped plans to release their song When the World Ends as a single off every day. I understand the decisions. You know, it's a little bit of an overreaction, but we were in uncharted territory. Nobody knew what the right thing to do was, but yeah. there was just a deep felt need to do something. Yes. But in challenging times, music can help comfort or even distract you for a brief time. Hearing old familiar songs can be a form of solace, but New York City Cops, that was a pretty good decision to Pro probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and benefit concerts were organized. On September 21st, the Tribute to Heroes Telethon was aired and raised $150 million. Musicians performed and other celebrities and actors spoke and worked the phones collecting donations. Yeah, and, and while it really was an immensely tragic time for the country, no doubt about that, music was the conduit to unite people. This wasn't to motivate the country to war, but for communities to get behind assisting those who were affected by the attack. 
the music came to the aid of the victims, the survivors, and the families. Yeah, and music is is great for uniting people. It's probably the best art form to do that. It, it just it reaches massive audiences, and there can be hundreds of conversations going on in one stadium. But you put on one song that everybody knows, and just about everybody will start singing in unison. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think all of us. We're profoundly affected in one way or another over 9-11 if you experienced that day in some way. And it's still a conversation people have, where were you when? I have a lot of good memories, though, from 2001, and they're ones that I can't allow to be completely overshadowed. I got married in 2001. We did the awesome Disney World honeymoon. Life was exciting. It was fun. We were sharing a lot of music together. I was in college. I'd gotten a great job as a bartender at a steakhouse. Linda still liked to watch MTV. So we had TRL on every day. <laughs> when I came on version 1999, I was still living it in 2001. I saw the moment Mariah Carey came on unannounced and did the strange strip tease. All of the Britney and Eminem and Christina appearances. But there was also a lot of rock going on too. Bands like System of the Down, Linkin Park, Incubus, 311 and Jimmy Eat World, they were all getting a lot of play in our house. And not rock, but bands like Gorilla debuted and introduced the world to the virtual band. Yeah, all of those bands that you just went through, um, while well, I didn't watch TRL, uh, you couldn't <laughs> escape them. They were, they, everybody knew them, right? Yeah. And they were what I heard going on in my house. If, you know, if I was listening to something, my wife would listen to some of the other stuff. But I was on the full dark side now of my feelings towards pop. You know, the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s is is the time I'm, I'm deep diving Johnny Cash and I'm not far away from my classic country revival in 2001. I'm I'm still getting into new stuff like the Strokes, Muse, the Hives. We, we both crapped on pop punk. But at the time, I liked some 41 and, uh -huh. you know, music and, you know, like that. Slipknot's Iowa melted my face back then. That was amazing. In in version 2005, I was in my indie phase and deep dives of that. When we were researching that shows, it brought me back to 2001 for bands like The National and The Shins and Elbow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, since we're talking about Elbow, they're a UK band. We'll talk about another one from the UK that was coming out at that time. And I couldn't talk about 2001 and not bring up the Stereophonics. Check out their cover of Handbags and Glad Rags. Th their song, Have a Nice Day, is still on regular rotation on the radio here. They're one of the most understated bands, I think, of the 2000s to come out of the UK. I think they were kind of the British answer to the Strokes debut album, This Is It. All in all, 2001 was not really a bad year for music. No, it's not. And uh, when you texted me about that song, I really wanted to hear Rod Stewart sing it. It sounded just like something he would do. They, they, they share some similar qualities with that raspiness in the voices. Yeah, yep. One of my absolute favorite albums of 2001 was Ben Folds' Rocking the Suburbs. I don't think I heard the second half of that album for weeks. That first half is so strong. It, I just kept going right back to the beginning of it. Yeah, it, it's really a fantastic album. I gave this album my full attention this week. I think it has all the genius of Ben Folds, but with a maturity that's come full circle. I don't think I would have understood Fred Jones Part 2 as much when I was 28 years old. But as a man now entering my 50s, I was mesmerized by the song and the story when I was listening to it. I really felt what Fred Jones was feeling in that <laughs> song. I could There was yeah. something very relatable. And I found it really touching and so true to real life. 
it's, I think it's really amazing that Ben could understand this perspective and write it so accurately about it since he was still a younger guy himself then. Yeah. His lyrics are amazing. I, I, I think there's a certain level of intelligence that just comes from observation of the world around you and awareness that he has. He has so many songs that can affect you in new ways as you get older or the, the ones that will remind you of how you felt you were younger. And he can interject this quirky humor, or just, just one little line with a word that you never hear in a song before. And it doesn't really feel awkward. It just kind of fits because it's been fold. You kind of, you've grown to expect that kind of stuff from him. And if you ever get a chance to see him live, take advantage of go. He, that, that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I really never had a chance to see him and I regret it because I, I know he's supposed to be fantastic. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. I know I talked about 2001 being a great year of music, but there are some people that would really disagree and think the worst music of all time came out in 2001. <laughs> Nickelback rose to fame. <laughs> How You Remind Me was huge and kickstarted the next few years of rock charts dominance. They weren't my cup of tea. Linda liked them. She did listen to them. There was a lot worse music, I think, coming out. I preferred her putting this on than to hear Destiny's Child sing Independent Women again. <laughs> but somehow as the years passed, like a modern day meme of music, these guys wound up becoming the most hated band on the planet. I don't know really how much they did that was super controversial. They didn't rip off other bands that were just repetitively sounded alike. But somehow we talk about how, you know, John Mayer and Coldplay get a lot of shit. But these guys are the kings of being hated on now. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Do you have any idea how this probably came uh, about? I think just by being themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, being themselves over and over and over and not doing anything to reinvent themselves. And for the most part, I think people would be lying to themselves if they didn't admit to at least not minding the album Silver Side Up in the State. How You Remind Me was named the number one most played song on US radio in the 2000s. Wow. Right. Between 2001 and 2009, that song played over a million times. It's ranked fourth on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs of the Decade and 75th on the UK Decade End Chart. So people are listening to it. And I'm sure more <laughs> than more than a few are liking it. You don't rack up stats like that from no one listening. No, I, they, they just have this dedication to keeping everything unoriginal. Um, well, it, well, it's original in that they don't rip people off, but it's just nothing that you can't hear somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And again, bands don't need to break new ground, but you, you better at least be interesting. And they write some pretty cringy misogynistic lyrics too, <laughs> kind of bro culture frat boy shit. Yeah, that you know, problem just doesn't fly with a lot of people. And they're just one of those bands people love to hate on. Imagine Dragons, Coldplay. You mentioned John Mayer. It, there's oversaturation with certain bands at least you know i'm i'm coming at this from a u.s centric position i don't know what these bands they're standing are you know elsewhere in the, in the world the uk canada wherever but well canada nickelback is probably beloved i would think mm -hmm. you know but after a few albums you you know what they're about and and you check bands out but weezer's not hated on like this and they've stuck to their thing a lot longer than Nickelback has. Yeah, Rivers has his formula and he has stuck to it. And you're right. But I think something you just said at the start of this might have solved the biggest problem. And that's that it's overplayed. 
And that's going to really prompt some hate. People just get tired of radio stations overplaying songs again and again and again. And I can see how that can really grind people down and, and really turn them off from the band. Yeah. And it's amazing how with all of the advent of streaming that that can still be a factor. Oh, it is. It is. Right. But it's, it is so much easier just to turn the radio on. <laughs> well, I think if you're in an environment where music's going to play in the background while you're working, the radio yeah. tends to be the number yeah. one choice because people can't agree on their personal music that they want to put on. <laughs> so they're going to let the radio shuffle all day long, but then you're going to hear Nickelback yep. 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, another band you might've heard 20 times or so is Puddle of Mud. Yeah, I think they I, they get their fair share of the hate, too. Um, and they're just as deserving. And if we're having a hater fest, you said it right there. 2001 is a good year to rank on John Mayer. <laughs> your body is wonderland. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could mute your microphone. Oh, there, there was definitely not writing dude rock at this moment. <laughs> oh, no. no. Puddle, Puddle of Mud came and went as a copycat band in an era. I, I think the record companies thought they were going to try to bring grunge back with them and people got sick of them very fast. They had that kind of sound from the early nineties, but it was way too polished and way too direct out of the studio to have any kind of real original feel. Yeah. And I think if you're coming out with, I don't know if this was their debut, but it was, you know, it was probably pretty close to their debut. What if you come out so early in your career with an album that has so much shine on it? It's obvious that there's money behind it. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so you know, you can kind of give it the side eye a little bit and go, oh, yeah. how much of that is authentic <laughs> here? You know, I don't know if I had my first cell phone in 2001 yet. And if you tried to reach me and you called my phone, you weren't going to get through because the line was always busy. And I can thank Napster for that. We've talked a little bit about the streaming and downloading in the past, but I definitely was one of those guys who spent four hours trying to download a Rage Against the Machine Beastie Boys mashup that was going to load my computer with viruses and give me the blue screen of death again. <laughs> but You never learned your lesson. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but something changed all of that in 2001 when iTunes was launched. And you know what? I bought music digitally for the first time. I'm not a jerk. I owned plenty of CDs and I spent good money on music. But there was something exciting about thinking that I was a pirate and owning all these songs I was probably never going to buy in the first place. But when iTunes came out, it was worth it alone just for the safety. I was buying music intentionally again. Later in the year, the iPod came along but I had those little 128 megabyte, you know, MP3 players that you could fit maybe a hundred songs on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you remember the mini disc players? I had a Sony mini disc player. That oh yeah. I was definitely. was going to be the future of music. The thing skipped. <laughs> <laughs> it skipped. Well, yeah. I mean, portable things like that. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't last long. I just convinced myself I needed one. A lot of MP3 playing devices came and went. And, and you remember the Zune? That, oh, yeah. that was huge. But I mean, the iPod ended up dominating them all. Yeah. Zune owners still swear by that product. That would, that, that apparent, I've never owned one, but apparently people were really happy with that. And iPod owners swore at iTunes. Swore at iTunes? Swore at iTunes. iTunes was a piece of junk. The software <laughs> for like interfacing with your, with your iPod. It was a complete frustrating turd. 
for for library <laughs> especially if you had like the family plan and you all your libraries within your family are synced next thing you know i'm deleting a, a song off my ipod next thing i know it's deleting it off my kids yep phone it's yep. like oh my god in the ass. <laughs> um and, and i tried the whole napster lime wire thing but again, I, I didn't have the patience for it. You know, you're on AOL, you're dropping your internet connection. Mm -hmm. And especially when I was getting into file sharing with my friends, you'd get something that they downloaded off Napster or something. And you could tell it's just a horrible, horrible, warbly copy, or you can tell where they lost their connection and it picked the song back <laughs> up in the download. You, you know, you get, you just get that little, that artifact there. Um, I didn't fully get into buying digital music or players at first. It took me a little while to get on onto that because another thing that kind of irritated me was iTunes had that DRM protection. Yes. So it kind of locked you into using only their products. You couldn't share, uh, you couldn't use your MP3 file wherever you wanted. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I understand the whole the the copyright protection. Well, 2001 was also the year that the digital uh, protection on compact discs came out. Do you remember that oh, happening? Yeah. And they yeah. actually, they, act, they had to remove it because people were putting the discs into their computers. And they wouldn't even play. Yeah. So they I had they, a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very frustrating. Oh, it was. But like I said, I, I bought CDs. So if you came to my house, you're going to sit down and you're going to listen to music on the stereo in our living room. I think I got more into downloading songs off Napster and using those interfaces so that I could make mix CDs because I was more focused on individual songs and being able to listen to them in the car. Yeah. Because if all you had was CDs and you didn't have a tape deck in your car or a way to make a mixed tape, yeah, you know, you're, you're kind of locked into, you know, constantly shuffling new CDs into your system. Mm -hmm. And I think the big thing with me that I didn't mind, you know, people doing the Napster whole thing was just, to take a, an album, for example, Men at Works, Business as Usual, right? Yep. I long time ago, I bought a vinyl copy and then I bought a cassette. You're telling me <laughs> I got to buy another digital copy? You know, it's like I should be able to get something for free there. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know? But this was part of me being behind the times and thinking that nothing could replace having physical copies. I, and I've kind of weaved back to that, that part of the pendulum. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the more friends I got that had MP3s, the more I realized that my collection could just explode. And it did. Trading gigs worth of music weekly was, it was kind of a rush. Yeah. And, and why not? What, what, what better way to fill in the gaps of bands like the Rolling Stones or listen to something you never gave a chance to before? And you know me better than you have probably ever in our lives, Jim, from doing this show. <laughs> I bet you had no idea no idea at all the depths that i could obsess over things really matt <laughs> i never noticed go on, go on let us know yeah but 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 that's my normal you know if it's something i love and digital music allowed my obsessiveness to blossom and i had similarly thinking friends and part of my obsession art you know it's to just eventually tire of putting so much energy into something mm -hmm. or something else will draw my attention so, you know, I'll pull back and eventually get to a point where I can do the bare minimum, you know, what everybody else wants to do with, with stuff. It should be easy. It shouldn't be hard. And I also came to a lot of realizations of what good is all of this if I'm not listening to it? Do I really need every Rolling Stones album? I'm not a fan. 
So why? <laughs> why do I need? And do I need stereo mono versions and anniversary editions of the same Beatles albums? Probably not. No, probably <laughs> not. I actually kind of prefer the mono versions. At the time, though, I needed it all just because it was there. You know, this is one of the odd things about me. And I realize that I'm kind of an anomaly this way, but I've always struggled with having all of my favorite music at my fingertips. I always have this fear that I'm going to listen to it too much and wear it out and wear out the albums that shaped me. And I kind of had this philosophy I started with when I was younger, that I was fortunate enough to hear what I loved when other people shared it with me. I was weird that way. It wasn't until I started really kind of collecting vinyl in these past 10 years that I started buying my favorite albums again, because the listening is so intentional. Skipping's not a convenience. So the result back in the day for me was having a trivial shit collection of CDs (laughs) and trying to explain to people at the same time that I had a broad taste in music. (laughs) It looked like you did. Yeah. (laughs) But, But the streaming age has now landed everything on my doorstep. Yeah, I'm, I am the complete opposite. I don't know if which one of us is the anomaly, but I got a feeling that you probably are because I think most people love having their favorites close by, you know, but, but the problem is I have too many favorites. It's hard for me to differentiate what is like a deep-seated love of a song and maybe something that I perceive to be because I used to have, you know, a deep-seated love for it. Um, <laughs> I, I never know when I want to hear that one song by some obscure band like Junkyard. <laughs> but really, the correct answer is not once in the last 10 years. <laughs> but, but, but if it ever pops up on my phone, I'm going to go, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get that rush. I love how you called it intentional listening. This is something that I have brought back into my life the last few years. And really, it, it is thanks to vinyl. There's a physical task that you have to do to continue listening to music mm-hmm. or just to even start at all. And then you get carried away with looking at the liner notes and the, you know, you got a big picture to look at. You can kind of study things. It's just my preferred way of listening again and putting something on and doing nothing else, but paying attention to the music. That's intentional. That's like deep listening. You're giving that music your undivided attention. Most times <sighs> Listening can be like in partnership with other tasks. I'm cooking, I'm doing laundry, I'm cleaning. But to sit down and give music my undivided attention for a deep listen, that is where I'm at right now. I can get too wrapped up in exploring and I don't stop and smell the roses, Mm -hmm. but I'm pulling away from that now. I'm kind of more finding that balance in doing the two. And I also had a little bit of a revelation about digital music this week. My love-hate relationship with radio, it's well-known. We've talked about it, you know, killing songs, whatever. I think this digital music revolution was what made me realize I didn't need to rely on radio for music. I've always been an explorer, and digital blew it all up for me. It gave me less patience for hearing the same old things over and over. And listening to DJs just puke their guts out (laughs) on air. I'll always love radio for what it meant to me growing up, but it's another positive thing about digital. One of the things I think digital music and CDs in general killed music for me was that how many times did you buy a new album and you put it on, you hadn't heard the whole thing yet, and you listened to the one song you like, and then 
you might hear a second song and you skip it because you don't like it. You skip it because you don't like it. You skip it. And you get two or three yeah. songs of skipping and you go, you know what? I don't really like this album. And you put it away and you find out 10 years later that track number nine or 10 was the best song on the album. Yeah. But you never yeah, got but, to it. But we're kind of in that magic moment where digital, you know, or the internet, you know, YouTube or iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And physical like vinyl, mm -hmm. it's like a perfect marriage now because of digital and online you can listen to that whole album and decide if you want to plunk down your money to go buy it. This year was the first year that vinyl has outsold CDs in over 20 plus years. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. hear CDs are making a little bit of a comeback too, though. They always will. CDs will always yeah. be around. I mean, they're, they're, the sound quality is still amazing and people will argue oh, yeah. absolutely that they're the best. Yes. And, and I, I think that there's a different type of sound that you're trying to get between vinyl and CD. And I can understand both mm -hmm. sides of the argument. And I'm going to go back to just the quick thing that you said there about struggles with radio, because in 2001, back to the year we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. I was living in Rutland and you could just be out of range of catching the buzz out of Burlington or catching WEQX. And there was nothing but terrible radio <laughs> driving it's around called in limbo. And that's why I had that five disc changer because I needed those mixed CDs and that remedied that for me at the time. Okay, Jim, you said the magic number five. Oh, that sounds like a cue to move <laughs> along to our new additions to the playlist. If I ever heard that one. does sound good. We've talked a lot about music, but I think we're going to talk more in depth as we go into our. Five. Yeah. I yeah. think that was kind of as, as we developed our notes, we kind of realized that yeah there are some things that we do have a deeper feeling for than in previous years yes so we're going to get more in depth than our five but 2001 this trip was on your your dime you paid for the gas i did so why don't you get us started all right i'm going to start us off with one of my favorite songs of all time it's off the album bleed american and the song is a praise chorus by jimmy world this is one of those changed my life songs. I spent most of my 20s and 30s just floating along carelessly in life. If you knew me, you would understand that. I got a lot handed to me growing up and I didn't really understand the value of working hard for something. Even though this album came out in 2001 and I owned it and I liked them, this song reached out to me a little bit later on in life. And it was the first verse that just kind of slapped me in the face one day. Are you going to live your life wondering, standing in the back, looking around? Are you going to waste your time thinking how you've grown up or how you've missed out? I've been so motivated to give my best and to achieve my best by this song. It's always going to be one of my all-time favorites. And in 2016, I got to finally see them play it live. And I sang it from the bottom of my heart as loud as my voice could go. Uh, this was this is a great song. This was a great album too. Definitely a favorite from yeah. 2001. If you didn't bring up something from Bleed American, I would have. You you have these kind of uh, inspiration songs based on the lyrics because usually if I'm looking for a song to like put me in the mood, it's usually based on a tempo or a rhythm, you know, wow. an overall sound. I have I have lyrics for other situations. Mm -hmm. but I tend to not have them for like inspirational like this as much as you do. Yeah. No, I definitely, well, I'm definitely moved by lyrics first. Yes, you are. Yeah. So that's my number one. What are you going to start off with? 
my five, we're going to start off this first one. It's going to be long. So, so bear with me. <laughs> um, you know, they're not in any particular order like usual. Um, but 2001 is some of my favorite albums that still stay with me to this day. And this was beginning to be the last the world saw of pre-indie pretentious music snob. Me, <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, so we're going to start off with Ben Folds. Uh, the song is called Still Fighting It. Uh, we've already talked about that album and how great it is. So I'll try to stick to this song. Um, I'm going to quote this song a lot because this is one of those songs that is a big one for me lyrically. The, the melody is great too. Mm -hmm. um, I love this song from the first listen, but it took on a new life when I became a parent. You remember being a kid and you thought parents had all the answers, right? There's yeah. that magical time before you realize your parents are just winging it. They're people too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're having to figure everything out as you go, because that's what it is. You want, you want to have all the answers for your kids. Young children don't realize you're making it up as you go. And parents are just hoping to make the right calls. And that's the fight. That fight is never ending and everybody's got it. As Ben said about the song, everyone has the scariest thing they've ever done right on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard it before being a parent, you know, even lyrics like everybody knows it hurts to grow up and everybody does. It's so weird to be back here, right? Who doesn't do that going back to a high school reunion? Yeah. Right. Or visiting their hometown. That probably connects with everybody. And I remember being in Newport for a funeral. So it's already a pretty emotionally charged atmosphere. I had heard the song in a few years and it came on my phone and I am a parent to both of my sons at this point. I never had an emotional reaction to a song like this before. I was singing along and suddenly I just lost it. And one line in particular set me off. You're so much like me. I'm sorry. And when I see my young kids mimicking something I do or say, this song reminds me to be aware of that. They're watching everything you do and you say, and we all have the good and the bad parts of ourselves and hope our kids can leave the bad behind when they become parents. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to eventually become like your parents. That's just inevitable, but you just got to have some self-awareness. But then the song continues. Good morning, son. 20 years from now, maybe we'll both sit down and have a few beers. That's awesome. Yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? With <laughs> right. But then it, it just killed me again. And I can tell you about today and how I picked you up and everything changed. It's like, oh, there's a kick in the gut. It was pain, sunny days and rain. I knew you'd feel the same things. So again, we're getting back to that fight and you know, your kids are going to have struggles growing up. You know, we all do. It just happens. And you do anything for them not to have that. But you know, it's impossible. No big surprise, your life changes when you become a parent. It's very sobering when you hold them for the first time. It's joyful too. It's not all heavy. You just realize the ultimate responsibility, but you also know that as they get to the age that you are and they have kids, they're going to have all of these same questions and insecurities going through their heads. The last line I'll quote is, you'll try and try and one day you'll fly away from me. And who, what, what parent isn't going to have a, you know, empty nester. You're going to have a big emotional reaction when your kids fly away. Mm -hmm. Kim and I, we know this day is coming and we know it's probably going to be the most challenging part of parenting. You can't protect them when they're not around. It's a feeling of being helpless and that constant worry until, you know, you can make that adjustment. It, it's a beautiful song. Absolutely. You messaged and, and asked what I consider to be my hometown once. And 
when I was listening to the song this week, I realized that whenever I'm home in Vermont, I -hmm. get that feeling of that being back in the hometown. So I've lived in nearly every corner of Vermont. And I think that if I were to show up in Bennington, if I were to show up in Rutland, if I were to show up in Burlington, if I were to show up in White River, if I were to show up in Newport tomorrow, I would have that weird feeling of being home and who's going to be around. And I, you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for you as a parent. I've said this to you in the past. I, you know that I've never been a, a parent and mm-hmm. it's just the, the road that my life went down. I've always kind of envied watching your social media and you experience the things with your boys as they grew up playing with the action figures out in the <laughs> snow, pretending you were playing Empire Strikes Back and setting them up and and watching you go through all of the elements in their life and sport and coaching and being there for them as much as you can. And I can only imagine how this song really kind of just, you know, it does, it, it would kick you right in the gut and make you think about that. Oh yeah, it definitely does. I've never heard you talk and open up that way about music and it's, it's awesome that you did that. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And if you're a parent, go listen to the song, cry your eyes out and blame me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your number two? Song? All right. My number two, you know what? I'm going to go to a song that has no lyrics <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go with Daft Punk and the song harder, better, faster, stronger. Yeah, it's not lyrics. It's just words. It is. Yeah, it's just a, it's it's robots. Really, it's robots. Okay. Yeah. Daft Punk always seemed cool to me, but they were kind of one of those bands that were just off my radar. And I know that Kanye and Justin Bieber had massive hits sampling their music. I rightly predicted that Get Lucky with Pharrell was going to be a huge smash the very first time I heard it, but it was actually the animated film Interstellar Five 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 the story of the secret star system that made me sit up and pay attention. It was designed to be a visual comparison to the discovery album and was released in 2002. If you know that feeling of sitting up on the edge of your seat and saying to yourself, wait a minute, what's going on here? It was my exact reaction to seeing this animation set to this music. I had no clue what was happening. I didn't understand the storyline at all, (laughs) or even if there is one, but it drew my attention to the rhythm and the electronic sounds and this musical landscape that Daft Punk had created. Electronic music has always artistically been hiding behind pop music, but I think Daft Punk were the duo that brought it to the forefront. And I always thought their image with the helmets was pretty cool too. Yeah, the helmets were pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Were you high when you watched that movie? I'll plead the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I started watching that and I'm like, whoa, this, I'm not in the right headspace. (laughs) You definitely (laughs) have to be in the right headspace. You you, you need to have the helmet on. (laughs) Yep. Daft Punk, they're one of those bands that it's kind of escaped being able to just like get. I I think for me, when I have them in small doses like this, I listen to this song and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, shit, I, I, I do know this song. This is cool. I like them in, in small chunks. Yeah, yep. Right? If they come up like this on the playlist, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, this is cool. But they definitely have a loyal following. You saw on oh, our Facebook yeah, they group do. page this week. Somebody came along and put up the entire album as a choice. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he actually put the best album of 2001, Discovery by Daft Punk. <laughs> 
you're you're probably not wrong. That is a pretty beloved album. It is. It is. Yeah. People lost their minds over that. That yeah. They did. Cool. All right. So what's your number two? My number two will be A Lifetime by Better Than Ezra. Most people have lost friends in life. You know, it's unfortunately that seemingly every graduating class has that tragedy hanging over them. I like how the characters in the song decide to not just sit there solemnly say goodbye to their friend. Instead, they take one last joy ride with her urn to the beach. Uh, they know they have no right, but they're young. They're impulsive. They don't want to say goodbye and they don't want their last memories to be wallowing in the dark. It's just, it's a really good melody and sentiment in the song. Yeah, it is. It was great to hear this song again this week and revisit the album. I listened to the whole thing. I used to own it. And it's one of those albums that I forgot. Wait a minute. I owned this album. You know, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And this song and this album was like bumping into an old acquaintance that you kind of wish you'd been better friends with for me. Yeah. It, this, this type of rock is exactly what I should have been aiming for when I was younger and trying to write music. And I realized that kind of retrospectively, and it was really nice to listen to. So thank you for taking me back there this week. Cool. Yeah, their music has aged well. I was I was a little surprised by that. Yeah. All right. So what is your number three? My number three is going to be System of a Down. They're not banned from this show this week. No. <laughs> no. And the song is Ariel's. I love the crashing moodiness of this song. If you need proof that hard rock or metal doesn't need to be fast, this is probably one of the best examples since Black Sabbath, in my opinion. It has a really cool melodic bass line that moves the song forward. And Serge Tankian's vocals are in top form. The amount of raw motion you hear coming from him in this song is really incredible. If you can find the seven-inch vinyl release, the B-side cover was Sabbath's Snowblind. Oh, cool. Yeah. The entire Toxicity album got a lot of play in my household. And it's definitely one of my favorite metal albums of all time. It's funny how this album wound up getting so much play in my house. I had a buddy come visit and he left it there by accident. And of all people, I didn't expect all of a sudden I discovered Linda was riding around listening to it all the time in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. I, for me, I thought this stuff was too hard. I need to go put this on and check it out. And it definitely became one of our favorite albums that year. For me, this was the surprise album of that year because I did not expect to love it as much as I did, Yeah, but they brought their own ethnic swing to music. Yep. Right. And there is a, his voice. He sings with such drama, but not melodrama. No. Yeah. Right. You, you feel the anger or whatever emotion he is trying to convey. It's very raw. The system of downs really. Cool. I was really close to chop suey as well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have, yeah, chop suey, pogo, anything off that. Uh, album, it's so really. good. Oh yeah. All right. What is your number three? My number three. We are going to go to Pete Yorn in Life on a Chain. So I said all my five songs this week. They're from probably my favorite albums of two thousand one. Music, music for the morning after was near the top of my list. The beginning has that tropey sound of being on an old record or maybe a radio that hasn't come into full reception yet, but it's just got a simple bass groove when it kicks in and the melody sticks, it sticks in my head. I can't, I can't forget it when I hear it. 
it's a, it's an angsty song, you know, waiting for waiting over here for life to begin. It's, you know, it's, it's a really cool song. Yeah. I, I came up with a phrase this week, last week for episode 1989, you came up with Jim jams. So <laughs> I thought we had to talk about when Matt and his life took a turn down indie Matt alley. And I think oh. this is where you started to do that with Pete Yorn. You make it sound cheap. No, <laughs> it's dirty. It's, it's down a dark corner <laughs> that nobody else wants to go. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, this is a pretty popular song, though. I it think. was. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it Pete Yorn just always seemed kind of out of reach for me at the time. It was probably just a little too mellow for me in 2001. But 2023, Jim, he's sitting here today. I really enjoyed it a lot this week. Yeah, there's a lot of moody stuff on this record too. Yeah, but I, I but I definitely hear what you like in the melody, and it does have a really good hook. Cool. All right, so take us away to your number four, Jim. My number four. Well, Linda would tell you that she was my girlfriend, and <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> I, I I'll tell you, Mary J. Mary J. Blige is probably one of my favorite female R and B singers of all time, and the song is "Family Affair." I can't tell you exactly where or when, but sometime in 2001, I fell in love with her. Even though she and her brother are the main songwriters, Dr. Dre has a writing credit on this song and, and he produced it and produced the album. As soon as you know that, you can hear that signature Dre sound. I don't have any big emotional story or attachment to the song, but I will say that Mary J has been known for pouring her entire heart and soul into her work to the point that she had to seek help because she was experiencing emotional problems after recording the vocals to this album. And you can really hear her giving it her all here. If you ever asked me to choose between Mary J or Beyonce from that era, or even moving forward, it would always be Mary J hands down, no contest. I would have to agree with you. That was a, that's a pretty good, uh, th that is a pretty good comparison because they are kind of two sides of the coin there. Yeah. Where I think Beyonce wants to be more of a butterfly. <laughs> and Mary J's just got a little bit more attitude. Yeah, she's gonna she sting like a bee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had never heard this before. I don't know how. Well, I do know how. I strayed away from anything <laughs> that was pop. <laughs> and and when I saw this on your list, I'm like, oh, I was a little irritated because I thought I was gonna have a Sly and the Family Stone mashup, <laughs> and I didn't want that because I love that song. But then when I heard it, you you dead on. I wanted a I wanted a Dre rap. Yeah, that sound is just it is right such there. a Dre song. Mm -hmm. He should have just took it for his own and made his own version <laughs> of it. Because, but but I did I did like the song. I think the older I get, I'm a little bit more open to some of this '90s, late '90s, early 2000s R&B kind of stuff that was going on. Yeah. Where before I was kind of like very dismissive of it. Well, if you remember from the Super Bowl last year, she performed this song with Dre mm -hmm. and yep. yep. It fit in well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your number four? My number four is going to be, hold on. I got to find it. Oh yeah. My number four is Island in the Sun by Weezer. Hip, hip, hip. Yeah. <laughs> People might be surprised because we've done our share of Weezer bashing, but there was a time though, when they were one of my, if not, my absolute favorite band um and i wasn't tired of their thing yet um maybe quirky plays better when you're young you know as opposed to you know now they're you know in their 50s it's it maybe it's a little little weird 
to, to act the way they do <laughs> or sing about some of the things. But I love these early Weezer albums. I don't acknowledge Pinkerton. Sorry, fans of that one. We won't speak of that here unless we're going to go full in on trashing it when it is the proper year. Yeah, we're going to have to address Pinkerton down the road when we get to that year. And this album, I really think, was a return to why people fell in love with Weezer and the Blue album. Oh, yeah. If a song ever felt like being on a floating device in the water while the sun's passing over and you're just experiencing a moment of zen, this is it. It's a smooth, catchy, radio-friendly pop song from beginning to end. Yeah, this is easy breezy. It is. It is. It's all you need. All right, what are you going to wrap up your list with? I am going to wrap my list up with 311, and the song is called Wake Your Mind Up. I got to be honest with you, this album from Chaos was the album that I discovered really 311 from. And when I became a big 311 fan, this was the album that probably got the most. I, I had the Blue Album. I knew Down and All Mixed Up, and I've talked about some of those songs in the past. But this album was the first 311 album that I put in and listened to over and over and over again. I know we talked earlier about music that motivated me. When I was a retail store manager, just before a big meeting or an interview, or if I was just going to walk into the store and start the day and try to get my staff all riled up, this was the song that I would play through headphones to shock my brain. I played it loudly to get my head in the space for the day. Lyrically, the song tells us that there are dark paths in life and you have to go down them sometimes and fear does not make them go away. You have to move and rise up before your time's up. And I just love that message. And then the song itself, it's, it's got kind of a, an interesting syncopation and in the sound. It's one of those things that might be hard to listen to the first couple of times. So I can understand if you didn't catch on to it this week, because I think it took a while for me to really appreciate the song for what it's really worth. But it finishes with a very obvious nod to Tom Sawyer with these big drum fills before going out with this really cool slick bass and guitar. It still has that 311 sound, though, throughout the whole thing. I just think it rocks a little harder than most of the songs that you've heard from them, and I get a lot of energy from it. You know, the ending of the song makes me realize that 311 is uh, a much better band than I think they're giving credit for, because you said it right there, that little nod to Tom Sawyer. If they don't do that, you have no idea that they have that in them. Yeah. And it, I kind of, I think it kind of speaks to the musicianship when you, when you hold back mm -hmm. and you're not playing like Steve I and Billy Sheehan for every four minutes of a song. Yeah. And it breaks down the after that yeah. big drum fill, it, there's a great bass breakdown that occurs that leads into a really cool guitar solo with the wah pedal going. It's one of those songs that I will probably love to listen to for the rest of my life. Yeah. Cool song. All right, so time for your final song, Matt. What's it going to be? It's going to be Short Skirt, Long Jacket by Cake. Nice. This one, it's probably played out for people, but I was in the mood this week. Uh, it, it doesn't feel right for me not to bring a Cake song. They were one of my favorites as well. This song, it's tight. It's catchy. It has that Cake quirkiness. Just about every Cake song has an incredible bass line. And who else uses a trumpet? They're just, they're just awesome. Yeah, they are. I think this song was proof that they weren't one hit wonders because they'd been around for a few records by this point. 
and they they were one of the few bands that left the 90s and they were still managing to achieve a good high level of success with songs that were fun and catchy the trumpets and great. they stayed and they stayed true to themselves they did they didn't change anything about themselves along the way and you're right about the trumpet i love how it leads the song in it's the very first note you yeah. hear in yeah. the trumpet and you know while we're talking about instrumentation going on the vibra slap happening if people <laughs> yeah. don't know what that is you've got that in sweet emotion crazy train hendrix is all along the watchtower but this is probably the most you've ever heard it in a song and it just fits so well it, it's a great piece of recording right here. And wh whatever you say about being overplayed, I don't care. It's one of those songs I can still go back to. So yeah, it is. Excellent choice. I think everybody should own a Viber Slap. I think it'd probably <laughs> just be fun to play with. I just like saying Viber Slap. I don't know why. I, <laughs> I know. It sounds like something that you could just be sitting in the living room and like just low key hit it. And everybody's just going to look at you like yep. What did you just do? Can and if I do that? And if anybody wonders what that sound is, if you have like a door stopper with a spring on it on your house, <laughs> yeah. just go pull it. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I, I think it's been a, a good week for R5. And Matt, wow. Yep. You've got some songs on here that actually got some airplay on the radio. I'm, pr <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, buddy. <laughs> well, you know, if we're going to hit a lot of, you know, years in the 2000s, you're going to get a lot of more, you know, indie me. Yeah, yeah, that's and, true. That's true. And then popular stuff. So we're changing things up a little bit at the end of the show this week. You'll probably notice that we put the poll on for 2001 before the show is to come out. So now in the show, we can actually bring you the results of the poll. Yes. And it was great to see how many votes we had this week. The first song with, I can't say the most votes because we had two songs tie. Yeah, we did. Yeah. The first one is Gorillas and Clint Eastwood with 18% yeah. of the vote. Like I said, the world's first virtual band. And this is a great song. Yeah. And probably this is the reason why we didn't spend too much time with them early in the show because we knew we were going to be talking about them here. This was such a great goddamn song. The greatest virtual band of all time. <laughs> and so, you you know me, my, my obsessiveness. I, I did a little deep dive on this today. I had no idea that I never knew who rapped on this song. So I, I checked it out and it's Del the funky homo sapien. That's awesome. So, Get out of here. <laughs> I know the guy that did Mr. Dabalina, I think uh, part two version, 1991. Yes. I brought that song to my five. Yes. And then I'm reading it and I'm like, Holy shit. This is really, this is amazing how there's this tie, but there's more to it. So Dell was part of this hip hop group called uh, Deltron 3030. And it had DJ Kid Koala and Dan the Automator or Mike the Automator. I'm, okay. I'm, I, and those three guys, all three of them are part of Gorillaz. That's amazing. And if you go and, if you go and listen to, the, to Deltron 3030, their 2000 release, I can't, the name of the album escapes me. Go listen to that. You'll go, oh, yeah, I can see how they fit into Gorillaz. It fits right in. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Really cool. Well, the second song that tied it this week, which, to be honest, I, I was a little surprised, but that's actually Pink in the song Get the Party Started with another 18%. This song is written to start a big concert. I saw her in 2019, 
And it was probably one of the top three concerts I've ever been to in my life. I'm sorry for saying that. Please don't lose respect for me. It was amazing. <laughs> she might be pop, but she's had the same touring band for the past 20 years. And have a song, get the party started, that you come out and you start a show with is just genius. It, 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 she's had this for what, you know 21 years now to go out on stage and begin a concert with. And it just gets the crowd worked up. She's fantastic. I really think as far as music goes, Whatever you think of pop music, she's the real deal. You know, I'm going to surprise you. I don't hate Pink. I actually, I find a lot of, there's a lot of pop punk undertones in her music. She's yep. not straight up pop. Yep. Um, at least a lot of the recent pop or uh, recent releases she's, she's had. You know, she has some of the more listenable pop music. And you can't deny how powerful her voice is. Yeah. No, it's great. Her voice is pretty damn amazing. Yeah, she's got a great voice. Okay, and then the next song from the poll that made it is Tenacious D with Tribute in 16% of the vote. I was really surprised you didn't put Wonder Boy because that was the one that I remember <laughs> hearing on the radio. I think what makes this is it's Jack Black's conviction to it. The way he the way he just just goes for it. I was just so happy that the audience actually voted this one on. I am too. It was kind of unexpected. I, you know, obviously we've had pop songs go on before, so I shouldn't be as surprised at Pink getting on the list other than, you know, being second or being tied for first, but Tenacious D with a 16%. That's awesome. That, that tells me that we've got a great listening audience and yeah. So I'm happy that it's there after that we have stereophonics and their song, have a nice day. And this is our UK audience representing like I said earlier, it's one of the best indie bands probably of the last 20 years over here. I don't know how I never heard this before. It seems like it would have been on like a CW show. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. It's just kind of got that 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 quality to it. Yep. I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on this song. This is a really good song. <laughs> I, I really did like this song a lot. It, it sounds like it should have been a little bit more popular over here. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't break in the States. It's a good song. Then after that, what do we got? We uh, oh, you're gonna make me say this, aren't you? <laughs> it's it's it, it's come to me to reveal to everyone. Don't blame me for people who hate this band, but it's Train and Drops of Jupiter. Train's Train's harmless. Yeah, yeah, they are. Hey man, I, I've seen them live I, by accident. I went to see the Patriots play yeah. in 2012. I went to see the Patriots play at Wembley stadium and we had no clue. There was no program. Nothing said what was going on. And before the game started, all of a sudden you heard the announcer, you saw a stage set up, but you didn't know what was happening. All of a sudden you heard the announcer over the PA system go, ladies and gentlemen, Grammy award-winning band train. And they came out, oh. and they, they played this and they played Hey Soul Sister. It, it was kind of weird seeing them in a fully lit stadium with, a, you know, probably a, a really shitty sound system compared to what you'd hear a band play at with Wembley and such. Mm -hmm. But, eh, you know, they're one of those bands that they don't hurt anything and they don't really add anything to the music world. In my opinion, it doesn't surprise me that they got the vote because they create really accessible music. Yeah. And they're just, they're just one of those bands that get hated on by music snobs or non music snobs <laughs> <laughs> because it's almost like the cool kid thing to do to hate on train. 
this was a big song. Yeah, it was big. It it, was. It, every I, a lot of people love this song. It's still got a really good melody to it. It so. does. It does. It's it's like you said. It's a harmless song. So yes, it is. All right. So there we go. We have now announced all fifteen songs that are going to go on the playlist. That's good stuff, and it's nice to have that audience engagement involved with recording the show. So thank you everybody who voted, and we hope thank you're you. happy that your selections have made it. Now, Matt, it's your turn. You're going to have to let us know where we're going to go next. I'm going to really miss 2001. I really settled into a groove in listening to a lot of this stuff. Um, it was a really good week to reconnect with some great music. But since Halloween, we've done a few specials, you know, mm -hmm. and we're coming off a cleanup. We've had a couple downer years where we weren't as excited about the music. It's been far, far too long since we visited the 70s. So we're going to hit the Wayback Machine and go to 1976. And I predict that regardless if we're fatigued or whatever in love with the music, it's going to be extremely refreshing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to go back to the 70s. I think we have a lot of great memories growing up and being young and being very open and accepting of a lot yes. of the music that was coming out whether it was rock, whether it was really cheesy pop. It is just something about the music of the 70s. It's just... Everybody wants, yeah, everybody wants to talk about the 80s or the 90s, but doing this show, for some reason, I'm less embarrassed about what, you know, the cheesy pop or whatever rock or anything that comes yeah. out of the 70s, because it's, so, oh, yeah. it's so authentic in that era. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it is. All right. Well, I think it's my turn to sign off this week. Go right ahead. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, we definitely want to thank everybody for listening to the Jam Yearbook this week, version 2001, and I'm going to miss it too. I had I got into a groove of listening to music this week from 2001, and it was really nice to revisit a lot of that music. Everybody, go out and listen to that Ben Folds album. You won't be sorry. It's just so good. It's so goddamn good. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for sharing that with us and for getting into the, uh, the real nitty-gritty of the music. And audience, thank you for listening, and thank you for participating again. We're really happy to have all these songs to talk about, and we're looking forward to seeing what your picks will be from 1976, because there's a lot of good music that we're going to be talking about. A lot of classics. Yeah. All right, Matt, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Jam Yearbook, and we'll see you next time for version 1976. Yes, we will. Peace, love, and podcast. Peace! Yeah.